Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of August 31st, 2021, and episode number 489. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. So welcome, everybody that is live in the chat room. And if you're not listening live, that's okay as well. The show will be a podcast available Pretty much anywhere where you get uh, podcasts, which obviously is why you're listening to it. What a conundrum. Uh, but it's probably also available elsewhere that maybe you uh, haven't listened to or you, you want to listen to other podcast shows or uh, different content, whatever you're into. Everybody's into something nowadays with podcasts. Um, but yeah, also home is uh, paranewsinsider.com. That's the official home. That's the uh, website where I keep all the goodies. And by goodies, I mean the events listing, uh, books of the week, whenever I have those. It's like random book of the show, I guess I should call it. And uh, a lot of other content and materials as well as the archives going all the way back to 2008. That's why, yes, there is 488 previous episodes and tonight on 489 we've got a lot of weird stuff uh, we've got strange animals that are, are popping up in places that they should not be we've got uh, uaps on cbs and uh, we've got some uh, strange uh, people are going nuts in canada over ufos we'll talk about that uh close encounters of the starlink kind Darn Starlink stuff. I tell you, it's going to be the end of us. You know, we joke about it. We talk about it. Um, but, man, I, I don't know. It's uh, It's got to be the end of us. Starlink has caused a lot of problems. We'll talk about that a little bit more in depth here in a second. Uh, first, I want to uh, – I'm really excited about this. I want to uh, say this again. I think last week is kind of when I finally got everything – planned it sometimes it takes a little long to get things going uh, my first live appearance since 2019 not that i've buried myself in my house or anything and grown a, a beard all the way to the floor or anything i wish that would be great um not the beard part but just burying myself in here would be great probably get a lot of things accomplished that i've been wanting to do for a long time uh, anyway that's a story for another show uh maybe my therapist uh Westerville Public Library, October 18th. I will be uh, there for the 13th consecutive year. Uh, although last year I wasn't actually there. I was there virtually, which was, I guess that still counts because uh, I was kind of there in a way. Kind of like Max Headroom, I guess. Uh, I've also been there twice in a year. A couple of years ago, I did a, a UFO program earlier in the year, which is pretty fun. Uh, excited to, to finally get back out on the circuit and uh, speak. Granted, it's going to be kind of weird wearing a mask talking. 
it's kind of hard, but it it's it's okay. I, I wear one like twelve hours a day at work. Anyway, so uh, excited to get back out on the road, on the road again. I guess as uh, Willie Nelson would say it. Uh, and my topic this year: the unexplained, cryptozoology, ghosts, UFOs, and more. What are the facts? And uh, that was chosen actually by the uh, by the person who puts on these shows every year, and I was fine with that. I like a challenge to kind of come up with things and and change kind of a, a direction instead of saying the same thing over and over and having the same um, presentation over and over. I like to I always change it up every time I go anywhere, even if it's adding a slide, taking a slide out, or changing some minor details but i never do the same thing twice it's just kind of boring to me and i like uh, if anybody goes to more than one thing i like to keep it fresh so enough of that and again to check out all the conferences and conventions at least that i have i mean there could be a lot more out there that i'm not aware of uh, i've been a little hesitant to keep things updated because of COVID-19 and cancellations and uh, money and, and all these things. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, uh, things are all over the place. So I'm a little hesitant to, to keep things updated, uh, but I do the best I can uh, with what I've had and kind of a, a mild search throughout the year and, and keeping things um, as updated as I can. Uh, so the event is... Uh, at this time, I don't think masks are mandatory at the Westerville Public Library, but um, they're recommended. And I don't want people to feel, you know, we awkward or weird if if I am wearing one or not wearing one or whatever. So I, I I'm fine with being safe, taking precautions, and uh, at least you know making people feel a little bit better about being in public. Uh, it doesn't bother me, and. Uh, I do get excited, and I do uh, I do a little spittle sometimes when I get excited and talk about things. But yeah, they're pretty far away. It's not really that big of a deal, I don't think. But it's it, the perception, I think, is a big deal. So to each their own. Um, I mean, granted, you're in a building that is uh, pulling air out of one room and pushing it all over the others. So you know, I don't really know how much. Wearing a mask really helps in certain locations, but that's just that's just me. Um, but I, I think it does help. It helps if you have it from spreading it to other people. But uh, I've got my shot, so I'm good. Um, well, like I said, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So it looks like I got to update this site a little behind again. Uh, the events page is located at paranewsinsider.com, and you click on the events tab. Right up there at the top. I also have a link to uh, to news of uh, some of the more popular uh, websites. So the Anomalist, uh, as well as Unexplained Mysteries. Those are probably two of the uh, the top feeds out there that people are looking at. And also tied into uh, the Twitter account for the Paranormal News Insider. So any stories that I talk about here, uh, if... Jeez, I've been really bad about that last few uh, months about putting stories on there. But it's all linked in together, and uh, I get my news uh, in various sources. But uh, I usually am a day or two or more ahead of the anomalous and unexplained mysteries. 
sometimes. Uh, so when you're listening to this stuff here, sometimes these stories have not even hit those websites. That's why I like to do it on a Tuesday because it seems like things trickle out over the weekend. And by the time they show up on these these websites, it's towards the end of the week. Not that the paranormal falls the schedule, except for this show. Um, that being said, uh, oh wait, we got another question. The anomalist, who runs the anomalist? Now I know there's uh, there's a few people that are involved in the anomalist. They have uh, kind of like two news directors, I believe, that uh, that do the news. I know uh, Lauren Coleman is also a part of that. He's a contributor. Um, there's like three or four people that it's basically a website and I've, I've contributed to it where I'll send a story in and they'll check it out and they'll put it on there. Um, Patrick Hugh, I believe is the editor. So there's an editor and there's a few other people involved in the anomalous, but it's mainly, um, at the will of people who are, are contributing to the website. Now there, I think there's a few they call them editors or news editors, but they're really just kind of – they're adding a little bit of stuff to the, to the links basically. I don't know if they scour the internet or they're, uh, they're doing it or they just take submissions and they're just um, compiling it on a daily basis. But again, they'll get stuff during the day, and they, it's not really together or put up on the site till the following day. So to me, it's kind of behind, but it's, it's always been a good source. Uh, I'm not bashing them in any way because I'll tell you, there's times that I can't survive without – that website and it's been a lo- around a long long time it's probably one of the most longest running paranormal news sites uh, on the internet i think it were around before i was doing my show uh, so kudos to them for the for the great work and um like i said i've i've pushed some of my stuff when i do a when i do a uh, a blog post you know, i'll send it out to them if I feel like it's something newsworthy for them to put on there. And, and I, I get thousands of hits off of that site. So I know a lot of people uh, gear toward the anomalist.com for their news and information. But again, uh, I'm getting the stuff that they get days later because I've been doing this for so long. I know what to look for, knew how to look, but uh, it's a great website for information. And again, that's you can go right through my website to find it. Uh, also, again, uh, books, uh, books that I've talked about here on the show. There's over, a, I think, over 130 something like that that I've got on that site. Uh, also, links to the blog and the show archives. You can go back if you're really bored and you want to go way back in time to 2008. Listen to my little five-minute segments uh, of the show. Uh, on through when I used to uh, pre-record stuff. Those are the days. Uh, it's a lot more fun just to sit behind the mic, to be honest. Uh, I enjoy the live stuff a lot better. Anyway, you came here for the news, not my life story. Uh, speaking of therapy. Um, so yeah, let's jump into the news. We got some, uh, no ghost news. Technically, there is a story that uh, actually hurt my eyes. Uh, looking at because I, I kept rolling them a lot about an orb seen in a uh, a nursery, but we'll yeah we'll see. Uh, cryptid news this week, uh, more disturbing news. I, I tell you, you know, 
cryptid pur- uh, purists don't like these stories, uh, but I'm telling you, these uh, I think are important because they do create other stories. So I can say back in the 1960s and early 70s, uh, it was very common to see people walking around with lions and tigers and maybe even mountain lions. I mean, what did you think I was going to say, bears? Of course, I should have said bears, probably bears too. Um, probably those two wandering the streets of London. So in the UK, people walking around with these exotic pets on large chains uh, or, or whatever. I don't know what they walked them with. Walking around, looking cool. Uh, maybe not cool. Maybe hip. I guess hip was the word back then. Um, that is until the Dangerous Wild Animals Act of 1976 was enacted. And oh, that was it. All those animals, you had a certain amount of time to uh, relocate them, sell them. I don't know what else they did with them, but a lot of people, it's rumored that they let them loose and let them run into the English countryside uh, to um, do what animals do. I'm sure you watch the Discovery Channel. So that's the thought that these animals have, uh, you know, run loose and found uh, similar species or hopefully their exact species and, uh, you know, had uh, new little cats and tigers or whatever running around. And, of course, this has led to sightings of large cats ever since and stuff that we cover here on the show every now and again of uh, they call alien big cats or ABCs. Uh, so technically... You know, some people don't think those are cryptids. I, I do. Uh, animals that are out of place, I feel, do qualify for that, even if uh, humans are responsible. Because, uh, you know, if they're able to survive for 40 or 50 years in the wild, that's pretty interesting. And if they can go undetected for that amount of time, it also gives credence to other things that may be out there in the wild that are undetected. So it's all it all ties in together, I think, I feel. Um, and, you know, with us messing with Mother Nature, you know, I think that also adds a little credence or possibility to other things that may exist out there that we can't explain. And I think that's the cornerstone of the paranormal. So, yeah, England has the Dangerous Wild Animals Act of 1976, a big stamp of, hey, clean it up out there. Uh, but here in the United States... It's a little bit more disjointed. You know, all this stuff about states' rights and things. Uh, so some states have tough laws where others uh, are a little bit more laid back or their laws are really not specific and uh, really not really uh, pursued that well. I don't think uh, it's kind of a reactionary thing. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, they're shutting things down. They're allowing people to bring in animals. Uh, you know, I guess if I went and bought an alligator in Florida, I could just put it in the trunk of my car, in the back seat, put a seatbelt on it for safety, and just drive back here to Ohio, and nobody would really know, I guess. Um, but it's it's just a little scary. We hear all these stories all the time of these animals that exist where they're not supposed to exist and could cause problems. And we've noticed a kind of a trend, uh, but it's not really because they're big cities, but we've seen a lot of these animals showing up in big cities. And it's because 
bigger cities have more people and more people making bad decisions, I guess, and more eyes seeing these things and obviously more people reporting things. Uh, and they probably go a lot more undetected in more rural areas where people have uh, large animals in their backyard. You're, maybe your neighbor has them. You don't even know it until one escapes and jumps over your fence. Yeah, it's they're everywhere. But uh, in bigger cities, things are a little bit more easily discovered. Now, we had uh, earlier this year the serval. In Atlanta, the big, the wild cat, the big ears, uh, that jumped into the the lady's bed. Another person, like her neighbor or somebody down the street, just you imagine just waking up and looking and seeing a a large African wild cat sitting on your bed, looking at its paw or whatever it was doing. Be a little nerve wracking. Uh, we've had a few tigers in Houston over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know about you. I like tigers. I like seeing them in the zoo. Uh, I'd love to see one of the wild someday, you know, from up on top of a building, so where I'm safe. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to find out that somebody has one down the street, or look out my window and see one walking down the road. Not, not something I want to encounter in my life. Um, so yeah, big cities have had their fair share. This is the small example. Now, the latest story comes from the biggest city. Here in the United States, New York City, which I'm surprised we don't hear more about that stuff. Uh, all we ever hear about, I guess people don't even talk about it anymore. It's kind of gone by the wayside uh, about alligators in the sewer. But we've never really seen any uh, any validation to that. Um, not yet. Uh, but a woman in New York City recently contacted officials to have them come and remove an 80-pound 11-month-old mountain lion that she had as uh, as a pet in her apartment in the Bronx. Yikes. Um, this was a Manhattan, I guess, uh, but still the Bronx, packed with people. 11-month-old uh, mountain lion, that's, that's, that's a youth. That's very young. It's a juvenile. Uh, but at that age, uh, they're starting to get to that point where they're wanting to hunt for themselves. Uh, about two years, they take off on their own, generally, from their mom. Uh, so, yeah, this is a critical time. 80 pounds, it's pretty big for a year old, uh, probably because it's not getting exercise. Uh, officials successfully removed the animal and relocated it to the Bronx Zoo uh, over the weekend. And then it's uh, it's on its way. I don't know if it's made it there. Uh, it should be there by now. It's Tuesday was going to the Turpentine Creek Wildlife Refuge in Arkansas. Um, it's kind of good news, though, because the, the owner came forward and said, hey, I've got this thing. I can't take care of it. Uh, rather that than it escaping through a window or down a fire escape and running down the street and tackling somebody or you know, causing harm or injury to somebody – uh, Kelly Donathan, director of Animal Disaster Response for the Humane Society of the United States, said in a news release, quote, I've never seen a cougar in the wild, but I've seen them on leashes, smashed into cages and crying for their mothers when breeders rip them away. I've also seen the heartbreak of owners 
like in this case, after being sold not just a wild animal, but a false dream that could they could make a good pet, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, people see these cute, cuddly little animals and they think, oh, you know, as long as I take care of it, it won't do anything bad and it's it's going to be mine and I'll take care of it. And, you know, people raise these things and they, they say, oh, it's harmless. It won't hurt anybody. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a cute little cuddly cat or whatever it is. Uh, however, a lot of times these stories end badly and people do get hurt. These are wild animals. You can't just uh, change centuries of wild animal out of an animal uh, because you're raising it in, a, in an apartment. And hand feeding its steaks, unfortunately, just doesn't uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you can't change evolution in one creature. Uh, the Bronx Zoo director Jim Brahney stated, "Quote: uh, These animals often end up in very bad situations, kept by private individuals who don't have the resources, facilities, knowledge, or expertise to provide for the animals' most basic needs." In addition to these welfare concerns for the animals, the keeping of big cats by private people poses a real safety hazard to the owner, the owner's family, and the community at large, unquote. So uh, really important there. Yeah, you can provide love and affection and raw steaks, whatever, um, but you're not the, the animal's natural parent. You're not going to teach it what it needs to know. Uh, it's not going to understand its boundaries or what it's supposed to be doing or not supposed to be doing, especially if separated as a cub like this. So those animals tend to grow up uh, not very uh, socially uh, mature, so they don't act the way they're supposed to act. And in those cases, when they're not given what they need to grow correctly, because, again, this is evolution. These animals... You know, mountain lions, as much as I love them, they're everywhere. There's just thousands of them, and they're, they're you know, they'll have a few a year. So these things, you know, they're machines, basically. They're eating and killing machines. Uh, they're not cute, cuddly little cats. They are cute little cuddly cats as, as babies, but they're still dangerous animals, and they will act that way. Uh, they're ambush predators. They're the largest cat in North America and they're in the top five in the world and these aren't just cute cuddly I mean yeah if I saw one in the wild I'd want to go running up to it and give it a big hug but yeah probably I'd walk away uh, with a big gash in the back of my neck and claw marks in my face because these are wild animals they're not friendly they are cute but that doesn't mean you can just uh, lock one in your your spare bedroom or your kitchen if you're in the Bronx, I guess. Um, and if they're not raised correctly, given the correct care, um, they're probably not going to react the way they should anyway. And uh, they're going to be very, uh, they may seem appreciative to you and they may seem like everything is great, uh, but ultimately, uh, you're not doing what you think you should, what you could be doing for these animals. Um, now, yeah, if it's – these animals also need to be in areas where they can run, they can jump, they can exercise, they can use their their muscles like they're supposed to and burn the calories they need to. Um, 
the mountain lions, uh, they wander. They don't just stay in one spot. They, they move around a lot. Uh, and they're not getting that exercise. They're not getting that mental um, stuff that they need. And I'm sure you've been to a zoo where you see the cats that are pacing back and forth in front of their cage. That's a, a mental disorder that they get from a, a lack of um, being stimulated mentally. And luckily, you don't see that as much anymore because a lot of these zoos and private menageries have programs to keep these tigers and cat large cats are mentally sharp and mentally you know, able to do what they've got to do. And some animals, yeah, they can't go back in the wild for different reasons, especially uh, this one here that was raised by a human. Uh, probably not going to be able to survive in the wild correctly, may not be – I may not go after the right animals. This animal would probably go after cats and dogs more than it would uh, deer like it's supposed to. Uh, so being that, it would probably, if this was a wild cat that somebody trapped in their garage and was trying to raise and then let it loose again, it would probably have to be put down. Uh, but again, the good news here is that the owner recognized that she could not keep the pet any longer, even though it was it's a baby. 11 months old, that's that's small for a mountain lion. Uh, but yeah, the Bronx uh, Bronx apartment, probably not the best place to raise a mountain lion. Uh, I hate to be her neighbors. The smell of cat urine and the screaming in the middle of the night. Uh, there's no word on how and where she acquired the cougar, but hopefully officials uh, can find who was responsible for that sale and, and shut that kind of stuff down. That's That's not good. That's not good for... Mountain lions, not good for people. Uh, the article covering the story, this was news to me. Uh, I'd never heard this story, but uh, the article covering the story also states that a 400-pound tiger was removed from a Harlem apartment in 2003. Uh, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, a mountain lion, uh, you can't train it. The tiger... You can kind of train it, uh, but ask Siegfried and Roy about that, how well that works out. Uh, these are wild animals, and no matter how much money and how much time you spend training them, ultimately, they're still wild animals. Some, some animals are smarter than others, and you can train them uh, very, very well, like dolphins. Uh, but they also suffer from mental disorders, from not being able to do what they need to do. And, you know, it's it's a big debate. People fall in love with these these animals and think that their their care is better than nature. Um, but that's not always the case. And uh, mountain lion, you're not going to train it very well. You don't see uh, mountain lions, you know, performing at uh, circuses and things like that. You know, lions... That's a different story. They're trained by fear. And, uh, you know, that's why they're not used anymore in zoos or um, I should say circuses because they were just beaten into doing, told what to do. So out of fear. And that's why they don't do that anymore. Like uh, elephants, they're pretty much forced to do what we want them to do and broken down. That's not training. So not an option. Uh, speaking of animal trade, illegal animal trade. Uh, there's another report of an alligator spotted swimming in the waters in northeastern United States. This time, a small alligator, about four feet long, 
was seen in the Connecticut River in West Springfield, Massachusetts. There's a lot of states there. Uh, the Connecticut River in West Springfield, Massachusetts. So a man uh, saw in an alligator estimated to be about four feet long, told friends, told neighbors. Uh, nobody believed him. And it took a few days for them, uh, for people to actually go out there and respond to it. Uh, they were able to find it. And uh, unlike a lot of other states, uh, like I've mentioned, uh, Massachusetts actually has pretty strict laws about alligator ownership. And only educators and scientific institutions are allowed to own alligators in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, still, this alligator... Uh, which is uh, seen again a few times in the cool waters up there in Massachusetts, more than likely one abandoned by an owner, more than likely acquired illegally. And uh, that's pretty sad to hear. Anyway, the depressing news of animals and abuse. Uh, we're going to go to UFOs. A little more fun and upbeat topic. A little more mysterious, of course. Uh, on August 29th, and if you watched over the weekend, uh, I was kind of confused by this uh, because uh, a segment I saw was the same one I saw a long time ago. But I figured it out uh, shortly after the episode aired and they provided the transcript. Uh, August 29th, CBS's 60 Minutes once again dipped their toes into the UAP situation. But unfortunately, I don't know if they were trying to trick people. I think they were. You know, if you watch it, uh, which it's uh, still available uh, on CBS.com, you can watch the episode. And I was confused because I'm watching it. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the same exact stuff I just saw before. Uh, the show was a repeat of what appeared back in May. They kind of warm up when they intro it. It seems like they're going to add more information to it. But it was just a complete and utter repeat of the earlier episode in May. Um, and basically starting off stating that the uh, report has since been released, which we all know about. We've talked about it here. You've read a thousand articles on that. And it was a big washout. Really? Uh, so in that episode, Bill Whitaker talked to Luis Elizondo, uh, a former Navy pilot, Lieutenant Ryan Graves, uh, David Fravor, and Lieutenant Alex Dietrich, uh, as well as Christopher Mellon, who served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence for Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. Uh, the interviews served to back up the mysterious sightings from those who witnessed them but were unable to figure out what they were seeing. And, of course, uh, everything was like completely everything is alien on this show. And Ilizondo appeared to uh, state things are matter of fact. Yes, aliens do exist, and they are definitely flying through our skies, according to him. Uh, there's no room for error. There's no room for mistakes. There's no room for misidentification. No, 100%. Which I'm not a fan of. Uh, I'm not sure why they couldn't actually do a follow-up story. You know, after the report had, had gone public months ago. I mean, months ago. You guys got nothing else better to do? 
but focusing on the alien invasion and national security threat, I, I guess that's something the 60-minute viewers love, and they eat that up. So I guess why mess it up? And what more is there really to say, I guess? Uh, but it seemed like two of the three segments were merely just follow-ups from things that had happened back in May. It was almost, I think, both interviews were the same exact interviews from before. I don't know if that's a a trend that the, the show does. I don't really watch 60 Minutes. Never really, really a fan of that show. It's kind of annoying with that TikTok thing going constantly. But, uh, yeah, I don't watch it. I just uh, hear about it uh, quite a bit uh, through uh, through these things here. Uh, these stories that pop up. And speaking of stories popping up, um, this was a really uh, kind of a passing story that I saw. And it was one that got a little interest. I saw the YouTube video. A lot of people were making a big deal about this. And as per usual, after a couple of days, these stories just kind of fade away. and Nobody talks about them. But I was a little perplexed because I couldn't figure out what I was seeing in the video. Usually, I can uh, figure things out pretty well. But I had a pretty good idea, and it turns out I was right. Uh, August 21st, uh, a video appeared on YouTube. Uh, there was a couple of channels. Uh, I think this this is the second one. The channel The Unknown 41. Uh, it's a uh, Spanish uh, website or a Spanish uh, YouTube channel, so everything's. I got to slow it down to really interpret what's what's being said. Um, but I know there was another one, the one that I'd watched. I don't know if it had any voiceovers or not, but uh, the video is titled "UFO UAP U uh, Sorry O V N I over Mississauga," which they actually spelled wrong, and I noticed that right away. Um, which is a, uh, a pretty large city in, in Canada. It's on your way to uh, Toronto if you're driving. I don't know if you'd call it driving if you're on the QEW. Uh, it's more like um, gripping the wheel, trying to stay alive. At least that's my experience of driving on the QEW. The Queen Elizabeth Way, for those who are not familiar with that area. Um, lots of Tim Hortons. And everything is in French and English, but uh, no complaints. No complaints, uh, except for the driving. It's hard to drive an American vehicle in Canada because you're looking at the kilometers and stuff, and you're getting passed by cars going twice as fast as you are. Anyway, uh, so in this video titled UFO, UAP, OVNI over Mississauga, uh, you see a front yard and a street light. And a sidewalk and, you know, just neighborhoody type things. Uh, the camera quickly zooms in on a black object that seems to be hovering slowly in the sky. Uh, the object has a really strange shape to it, which really threw me off. I, I couldn't figure it out. And uh, the story went into uh, viral mode pretty quick. And I remember a lot of uh, places were picking the story up and talking about it. And I tried to find what I thought was the explanation for it. But it turned out when, um, when I pulled up what I thought it was, 
I realized I was wrong. I didn't think that was going to work out. And uh, so I don't want to say anything. I don't want to put my, my stuff out there, but it's pretty sure. So in the chat room, you see a, a little clip of the video of what the video saw. And that's, that's a, just a weird object floating through the sky uh, very slowly. Um, this large, dark object, strange shapes, little things jutting out here and there. And, uh, well, first let me point out that most of you know what a UFO is, I'm sure. Unidentified flying object, which is just technically something that is in the sky that we cannot figure out what it is. doesn't necessarily mean it's an alien-directed aircraft or, or craft, period. But um, uh, through the decades, that's kind of been synonymous with the word UFO, meaning that it's little green aliens flying it. But I've, I, like most people, try to separate those two, that uh, UFO just merely means we can't figure out what it is. doesn't mean that it doesn't have an explanation. and doesn't mean that it's not something of this world. Uh, and, of course, UAP, that's the latest acronym that the uh, government's using to sidestep any reference to little green aliens. And it means unidentified aerial phenomena. And, again, trying to separate itself from the alien thing. And OVNI is uh, it's another acronym used uh, pretty much by the rest of the world to describe UFOs. Um, I know the Spanish, French, Italians, among others, use OVNI. And it's obviously in different languages. It, it's different things. But uh, OVNI, basically an acronym for UFOs. Uh, the video is said to show no signs of CGI, which I agree when I saw it. Uh, Blew it up on my computer and was looking at it. Yeah, no CGI. It's, it's obviously a, a large object floating in the sky. And it appears to be real and a legitimate UFO, according to the video. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The object was unidentified, uh, but I had an idea. Uh, to me, it looked like some sort of hot air balloon. And the one that I thought it could have been I remember seeing a, a very similar video that had a weird shape like this. And uh, it turned out to be a giant forklift, but I couldn't remember where that story was. Uh, but uh, I found the uh, photo of it, and it, it, didn't, it didn't match. The shape was not the same as the a giant floating uh, forklift as an air balloon. Uh, it didn't take too long. However, I believe it was the next day. Uh, I didn't follow up on the story, but I saw I got news reports updating that um, people had also other people had seen this object in the sky, but they had a better view of it. Um, so I kind of lost interest a little bit in the story. But uh, following up a few days later, I did see, in fact, it was identified. Some of those who saw it, and it doesn't make it any easier. Uh, I probably would have lost my mind to see this thing flying through the sky as well. When you find out what it actually is, I think it's just as scary, personally, to see uh, something like this flying through the sky. You, you'll identify it, but that doesn't make it any easier to see this floating through the sky. And let me post a picture in the chat room of another angle of what somebody else saw of this object. And you should probably 
get a little bit better of a uh, representation of what that object was. Yeah. Well, I was right. It's a little crazy. So a lot of people were speculating uh, with somebody with a jetpack. Of course, that's the, the new explanation now, of course, with the whatever's going on out there at uh, LAX, which sure one day we'll figure that one out. Uh, I haven't really talked about that story here, but uh, yeah, there's some guy with a jetpack flying around LAX, uh, LA Los Angeles uh, International Airport. Um, some people claim this was a giant drone, which I don't know how that would work. Uh, also, a reference to uh, some of my favorite videos down in Mexico of a, uh, a flying witch and a lot of other assumptions. Uh, UFOs this, uh, was a mothership. I think everything is described as a mothership to, uh, to some people. But uh, yes, in fact, this was a hot air balloon. It was identified as a hot air balloon. And uh, if you're not in chat, you don't know what I'm talking about. People in the chat room are seeing this and they're figuring it out slowly. Uh, but this is a, a flying uh, peanut. Not just your everyday flying peanut, uh, but a flying peanut that is wearing a large top hat and carrying a cane. Uh, so yes, that describes none else than Mr. Peanut himself from uh, Planters fame. And here's a, uh, a picture of that balloon a little bit closer up in chat. You can see uh, pretty much all the details. His hat little cane dangling down from his left hand. And, of course, the uh, the little uh, basket hanging down. You know, hot air balloons are pretty dangerous. I don't recommend flying them. It sounds romantic, uh, but they're actually really dangerous. No thank you. Uh, can you imagine jumping into an airplane and uh, you land wherever the wind makes you land? And you have to come crashing down every time you're in a plane, which I guess you kind of are in a way. Uh, but uh, I don't know I was confused by the whole thing uh, when they identified it as Mr. Peanut because I thought Mr. Peanut died. Uh, I'm all confused, but I don't really follow it. I'm not really into the uh, the uh, talking animal thing, the anthropomorphic creatures kind of really annoyed by all that. Uh, but yeah, I heard Mr. Peanut died. I thought he fell over a cliff or something. But yeah, he was killed just before Super Bowl 54 back in 2020. Uh, in the commercial, Wesley Snipes and Matt Walsh were driving in the Nutmobile. The Nutmobile? Uh, I've seen the uh, Wienermobile from the uh, Oscar Mayer seen that one a few times. Never seen the Nutmobile. Uh, but apparently they swerved to avoid an armadillo in the commercial. Uh, then the uh, trio were hanging from a branch. And Mr. Peanut uh, sadly let go and landed into the exploding wreck of the car. They showed it. It's pretty graphic. Peanut death. Uh, I guess it's pretty bad for some people. That's pretty grim. And they were going to uh, have uh, funeral footage, apparently. Uh, but uh, subsequent commercials, including the funeral, were scrapped. 
after the Calabasas helicopter crash that uh, claimed the life of NBA superstar Kobe Bryant and his daughter, as well as uh, others aboard, the pilot and others, um, out of respect, and it was a little, just a little weird anyway, seeing a seeing Mr. Peanut falling into an explosion, knowing he's going to die. It was just kind of weird. Why would you do that in a commercial? Uh, a baby peanut had been introduced, but I, I guess it ended up growing up into an adult, like within a week. It's weird stuff. I mean, that's these commercials are out of hand. I think just all across the board. It's insurance companies too. My gosh, and they all have like fifteen characters and a different line of commercials. Instead of just selling your product, we gotta have goofy people. And talking peanuts. Uh, Planners Company was uh, sold by Kraft to Hormel earlier this year. I guess Hormel is known for the the meat products. That's what I know them for. Uh, So Kraft sold to Hormel. And Mr. Peanuts once again got revamped. Uh, As long as it's not peanut butter. Uh, Mr. Peanut is supposedly of British heritage. I didn't know this. And uh, his actual name, yes, he has a name, not just Mr. Peanut. Is, uh, his name is Bartholomew Richard Fitzgerald Smythe. So where does he get Mr. Peanut from? Um, he's generally been a silent anthropomorphic character. Uh, but I totally forgot about this until I was reading the bio of Mr. Peanut. Uh, from 2010 to 2013, it was voiced by Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., which is pretty cool. Uh, the balloon, back to the balloon, the hot air balloon, that is, uh, of Mr. Peanut was created for Planner's 100th birthday back in 2006. And the balloon itself, so this is a ginormous balloon. It's, it's extremely large. Uh, that's why it looked a little strange in the video. Uh, it's a little larger than your average hot air balloon. Uh, The balloon itself weighs 525 pounds compared to the traditional balloon weight of 205 pounds. It stands 135 feet high or 13 and a half stories. And it's 45 feet wide. Now, a traditional balloon is about 57 feet high. And that's a big difference. And the hat itself is 29 feet high. That would make uh, Abraham Lincoln blush. Uh, so for me, uh, I'm pretty familiar. I know I've said this before on the show. Uh, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, still live here. And as a kid, I frequently saw the old school gray and black Goodyear blimp. Remember those? They had the little white lights on the side. Uh, we used to land at a... Um, Municipal airport, about about a half mile, maybe a mile from where I lived. Uh, so it would circle my neighborhood. You could hear it, the engines roaring overhead. And it would go land at the uh, municipal airport. We'd go down there and check it out. And, of course, uh, Indians games, Browns games, this thing usually every Sunday was flying over the stadium uh, for Browns games, every now and again for the Indians games. At the old municipal stadium up there by the lake. 
where you could get frostbite in the middle of summer with the air blowing in off the lake. And I won't tell you all the other details about that old stadium, but um, still every now and again you see it, and, and I've seen it. Uh, it's based in, in Akron, Ohio. At uh, There's a lake that, um, that I've actually kayaked at, and I've seen the blimp from other lakes that I've kayaked in uh, at a distance. Uh, there's actually a park called Wingfoot Lake, and you can go to the park, and you can see the hangar where they keep the uh, New Age Goodyear airship. It's not a blimp anymore. It's actually an airship. Um, the new ones are, are uh, blue and gr- uh, little gray, but also yellow as well. It's the new logo kind of thing. Uh, they're pretty cool. They'll pull it out of the, uh, the hangar and fire it up. It'll fly around Akron. And the uh, I was at a, a lake. I'm trying to remember. It was northeast. It's uh, Magador Lake. I was kayaking, and I saw the blimp flying around. I could hear it. It's close enough to hear the thing. They were, it was climbing in the sky and then kind of sinking and just doing little maneuvers, testing it out. And it took a bunch of pictures. And one of those pictures was uh, used for the front cover of my latest book, Handbook for the Amateur UFO Investigator. Um, but for me, I, you know, I'm used to seeing blimps in the sky. And even uh, I was driving one day home from work. I remember seeing the Goodyear blimp from a distance. And I still had... That initial, what the heck is that in the sky moment, trying to figure out what I was looking at while not smashing into uh, the curb while I'm driving my car. So, you know, even those of us who are used to seeing it and expect it when we see something large in the sky like that, uh, catch us off guard as well. Uh, I've seen plenty of balloons flying in the sky, uh, but, you know, they, they make them in these weird shapes now, so... It's not a big deal that people get caught off guard like that. And uh, so I guess it does happen. And, uh, you know, you can't help it. If you're at the wrong angle, you're at uh, uh, this, the angle where it looks dark. You're not, there's no sunlight on it. Of course, you're going to be confused. And Mr. Peanut flying around, that's just weird. Would never expect that, uh, especially since I thought he was dead. But I guess he's alive and well. Anyway, more serious stuff here um, in the world of UFOs and uh, the space above us, basically. Um, so I've talked uh, a lot about Starlink satellites over the last uh, two years. You know, I, I warned people before they were launching there were going to be a problem. And they've been nothing but a real pain in the rear end for a lot of people. Uh, numerous UFO sightings have come from Starlink satellites uh, from the launch, especially the deployment of these things where they're launched and kind of they look like a long line of flares high in the sky. Uh, people will also see them flying by at, in the middle of the night in uh, kind of a formation. Uh, so we're still getting used to them. They were first launched in 2019. So it's not been that long. And a lot of people haven't even seen them yet. Uh, I've seen them quite a few times. But, you know, even when I know they're there, there's, it's still spectacular to kind of see these things. It's just totally different than what you're used to of anything flying in the sky. Um, 
flying constellations. We got to get used to it. It's not going to go away. Maybe. Uh, caused a lot of commotion. Lots of stories we've talked about over the last couple of years about UFO sightings all over the world. A lot here in the United States, but also uh, in Europe, uh, Australia, Asia. I mean, pretty much everywhere has seen these things. And, you know, that's kind of harmless to an effect. Uh, but now they're creating a whole new problem. And that problem is close encounters. And I know we're talking about UFOs uh, and close encounters has a... Uh, a certain kind of connotation, but no, not that kind of close encounter, but rather close encounters between two spacecraft in orbit. So SpaceX's Starlink satellite constellations are involved in about 1,600 close encounters each week. 1,600 close encounters each week. So... This is roughly 50%. I think there's like 3,500 close encounters of all types of objects in space, small to large satellites down to uh, small little things, about four inches in length. Uh, so 50% of all situations in which two spacecraft pass within a distance of one kilometer or 0.6 of a mile of each other. That sounds pretty far. Uh, I mean, try running 0.6 of a mile without wheezing, but it's really not that far, especially when you're talking about objects that are flying pretty fast in different directions in the sky uh, high above us. Uh, Hugh Lewis, not Huey Lewis, but Hugh Lewis, the head of the Astronautics Research Group at the University of Southampton, the UK, uh, makes estimates of orbital situations using data from what is called the Socrates database. And of course, Socrates, as it has to be, uh, is an acronym, which stands for Satellite Orbital Conjunction Reports Assessing Threatening Encounters in Space. They, you know, they, they had to make that so it spelled out Socrates. Uh, but anyway, sounds pretty good. The satellite orbital conjunction reporting, uh, sorry, reports ass, ex, accessing, assessing, speaking of ass, uh, assessing threatening encounters in space. That's it's pretty complicated. Like, just be like, I see stuff in space. Report. Uh, anyway, uh, Lewis told space.com, quote, I have looked at the data going back to May 2019 when Starlink was first launched to understand the burden of these mega constellations. Since then, the number of encounters picked up by the Socrates database has more than doubled. And now we're in a situation where Starlink accounts for half of all encounters, unquote. Well, as dire as this all sounds, when you start digging into the data and you start looking at things, uh, the data actually points out that of these 1,600 close passes, most of them are actually between two Starlink satellites themselves. And when you scrub away all that, it leaves about 500, 500 uh, times where Starlink satellites approach other operators' craft each week. So that's a lot scrubbed off that list, but still pretty dangerous. And it's growing 
Uh, even so, Starlink has launched about 1,700 star, uh, satellites are existing in space right now, which is about 14% of what they intend on putting up there. Uh, of 12,000 that it plans to put in orbit, that's scary. That's scary. If you do the math, that's a, that's a lot of stuff that could go wrong up there. Uh, the U.S. Space Surveillance Network closely monitors about 30,000 live and defunct satellites, as well as debris as small as four inches, and provides accurate location data of the objects. With this catalog expanding immensely in the near future, it begs the question of how anything can monitor the skies accurately. And it gets more complicated than that. So these things are floating around uh, known pathways. Uh, they're affected by gravity, of course. Uh, but you can estimate where things are going to be. So what's the big deal? I mean, in reality, there's only been three confirmed orbital collisions, at least on a, a large scale. Uh, one of which was confirmed earlier this week from an incident that occurred in March involving a Chinese meteorological satellite which disintegrated uh, back down to Earth after being hit by space debris. And the worst of the three known collisions occurred in February of 2009 when the U.S. telecommunications satellite Iridium-33 and a defunct Russian military satellite called Cosmos-2251 collided about 490 miles above the Earth's surface. The result, about 1,000 pieces of debris that were larger than four inches tumbling around near Earth orbit. And many of these fragments have been uh, involved in other orbital accidents since then. Uh, so the name of the game of watching this stuff is avoidance. With avoidance, it's planning the trajectories of the pieces of debris, keeping out ahead making sure that uh, one pathway is not going to interfere with the other. Uh, but one issue, especially with Starlink satellites, is that they rely on autonomous collision avoidance systems. So thinking that they're smart, uh, keeping these satellites very close but not too close to where they collide with each other uh, is the name of the game for SpaceX and these Starlink satellites. However, this causes another problem. And while these adjustments do help avoid a Starlink on Starlink collision, it changes the forecasted trajectory, which complicates collision projections for other pieces of debris. So it keeps these researchers kind of in the dark about what happens. These Starlink satellites can move at a moment's notice just to adjust themselves. And nobody's telling anybody anything. There's no communication between Starlink, SpaceX, and anybody else who's monitoring all this stuff. Uh, Lewis adds, quote, Starlink doesn't publicize all the maneuvers that they're making, but it is believed that they're making a lot of small corrections and adjustments all the time. But that causes problems for everybody else because no one knows where the satellite is going and what it is going to do in the next few days, unquote. Uh, so that's kind of scary. And you may wonder, well, what's the big deal? Uh, but uh, if these objects do collide with each other, 
Uh, it could lead to a lot of other collisions, and it could be a cataclysmic failure of uh, near-Earth orbit, and it could just end up being just hundreds of thousands of pieces of debris. And you know, we've talked about this before, the Kessler syndrome or the Kessler effect, named from NASA scientist Donald, Donald J. Kessler, who hypothesized this in 1978. Uh, that the density of objects in low Earth orbit could lead to collisions that could lead to further collisions. And it could have a snowball effect that could leave a giant debris field so thick that it could render the use of any further satellites from being used in near-Earth orbit or maybe even impossible to launch anything else into space, uh, at least for an interim or possibly depending upon how bad the damage is, could be forever. And that's a serious thing to consider with all the space debris and space junk flying overhead constantly. But, you know, we've got other things to worry about, I suppose. Uh, here on the Earth's surface, while all that drama plays out overhead. And there's not much you can do about that, I suppose, unless you invent a... Uh, satellite that eats other pieces of debris in the sky that would be great if you do do you have something on that uh, i'd be, uh, love to be a contributor to that because it's going to be uh it's going to make a lot of money anyway that's your show for tonight that's your show for the week of august 31st we'll see you in september and i'll see you next week but for now keep your eyes in the skies your ears in the woods the hair standing on the back of your neck and always keep your mind slightly ajar. Above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>